Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. This is part two, my two-part interview with producer George Slaughter. Now, Mr. Slaughter is 93 years old. He is also the creator and showrunner of Laugh-In, which was a huge, huge hit back in the 1960s. You, you watch it now, and you might go, what were they laughing at? But we were all laughing. It got a 50 share. If you missed part one after you listen to this, go back and check that out. Now, he also uh, was a talent booker for uh, nightclubs way back in the early 50s. He booked acts in Las Vegas. And that's kind of the area we're going to concentrate on this week. He also produced the ill-fated Judy Garland variety show on CBS. In addition, he has produced things with Frank Sinatra. He's got some great Frank Sinatra stories. So uh, a lot of fun Interesting recollections from George Slaughter this week on Hollywood and Levine. I want to now back up to your early career Uh when you were booking acts at Ciro's and nightclub in Hollywood. You were also booking acts at the uh, Frontier Hotel in Las Vegas in the early 1950s. And from what I understand, one of the acts that you booked was Ronald Reagan and the Marquis Chimps. What kind you of have, act you, was that? You have done you have done a an awesome amount of research. I did. <laughs> I was see much of my success when I've had success has been in the most unpredictable situations. I was booking the shows at Ciro's and at the Frontier Hotel in Vegas, and. Lou Wasserman, who was head of MCA, called me and said, I want you to book Ronald Reagan. I said, Mr. Wasserman, he doesn't do anything. He said, right, that's not my problem. It's your problem. I want you to book him into the Vegas. So uh, <laughs> we, we found an act that uh, Dave Chappelle, uh, no, Dave, anyway, what the name of the act was, it was five guys. We replaced the lead guy with Ronald Reagan. It was a straight stand-up kind of musical uh, patter uh, presentation of five guys. And when I saw the act, I said, this is trouble. So I remember that Ronald Reagan had done 
a movie with a, a market with a, a, it was called Bedtime for Bonzo, in which there was a, a chimpanzee appeared with Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. So I found an act called it the Marquee. This is running mate. Yes. Yeah. So I found an act with Marquee and family, five chimpanzees, and I booked them to open for Ronald Reagan. And uh, they were a wonderful act and everybody loved them. And uh, but they had in their contract, they would do 20, 30 minutes. And uh, the show in Vegas could only run an hour and 15 minutes. And Ronald Reagan's act ran it up. Anyhow, they said to cut some time. And uh, the chimpanzees could not. Their contract said exactly how much time they had to do. And Ronald Reagan said he can't touch this act that he had, which was, it was not not bad. It was just, you know, normal, whatever. And so we wound up in order to make it work, because you could not say to a gorilla, cut five minutes. We put them, we do the first 10 minutes of the act in the hallway. And then opened the door and they went out and they did the last half of the act. And they were, they, they were when you when you tell a chimpanzee, you know, what to do differently, it was a bit of a surprise to the gorillas, you know. So anyhow, the first the first five six nights went pretty well until we got into the chimpanzee act and they came backstage and they said, uh, "Mr. Reagan has some friends coming. Uh, uh, hold the show." I said, "No, hold, hold, wait, wait a minute, Sparky. You can't tell five gorillas take it from the top." I said, what do you mean, hold the show? The show has started. I can't hold the show. So then he said, okay, start it now. Well, the chimpanzees were totally disoriented. Ronald Ray was waiting to go on. The gorillas went out on stage, and they went into the lights and into the up above, and they were all over the stage. And one of them tried to consummate a relationship with the conductor. That was, that was strange. And uh, it was <laughs> absolutely pandemonium. And uh, when the show was over... I was there like this, and, and uh, Ronald Reagan uh, was a big hit with these chimps. And he said, that's the funniest thing I ever saw. I said, that's not the act. That's that's an accident. They said, well, tell them to just do that. I said, no, you don't understand. We had five wild animals loose on a stage in Las Vegas. <laughs> so uh, they then agreed that uh, Mr. Reagan should cut his act, for which he never forgave me. But he never forgave me for the chimps, or for cutting his act. Uh, Mrs. Reagan, Nancy Reagan and I wound up good friends, but Ronald Reagan always uh, was was very, very uptight with me over the gorillas. But boy, it was funny. When those chimpanzees turned uh, turned loose on that stage, you can imagine five gorillas in a... Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 50 years ago, you know. <laughs> it was an adventure. Drunk crowd. Yeah, it must have been... That must have been quite the... Now, there's the Rat Pack for you. Ronald Reagan never forgave me for the gorillas. You know, he said it was... He didn't think it was funny. Everybody else thought it was funny, but he didn't. (laughs) Sammy Davis Jr., what a talent that guy was. And you booked him into Ciro's, didn't you? Well, we booked him into Ciro's as an opening act for Janice Page, who was a big star on Broadway. She's coming out to Hollywood to play Ciro's, Janice Page, and uh, her act and whatever. And Sammy Davis was supposed to do 10 minutes as the opening act for Janice Page. And the opening night, a big crowd of celebrities showed up. And uh, Sammy came out on stage, saw that crowd, and did the whole routine. He did an hour and 15 minutes. Janice Page never got on stage that night, for which Mm. she never forgave me. But Sammy exploded. (laughs) Because nobody had ever seen anybody like that. See, we still haven't seen anybody like that. But he went on from that night to become a huge star. And then he met Sinatra, and that became the Rat Pack. And uh, Sammy was overwhelmingly talented. 
And, and uh, when he went on stage, that sound was like an aphrodisiac to Sammy. I mean, he heard that sound of the audience and he just exploded. And he, we've got some tapes of Sammy's act someplace. That he was quite an adventure, Sammy. Yeah, put that on, on YouTube as well. So uh, you also booked him into the Frontier Hotel in Las Vegas at, at a time when that was a pretty bold move. Yeah, well, no black acts, black audiences didn't go into the room. They didn't, and we're not in the audience in Las Vegas. And no black act really played Las Vegas at that point. But I booked him because he'd been such a hit at Ciro's with Janice Page. So I booked him and I called Jake Kozloff, who was very colorful Vegas type, as you can imagine. And I said, I just booked him. And he said, is he, is he that colored fuck? No, 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 no. So anyhow, I said, uh, and he's going to do, he's going to appear. He's going to uh, stay in the hotel. Black audience is going to be allowed to come in and see him. And uh, Jake Kozloff said, you can't book a black act in Vegas. Colored, he didn't call him black at that point. I said, yes, I can. And we booked him into Vegas. And I said, it's for four weeks. Well, Sammy hit that sun, the, the Vegas strip, and it exploded. I mean, he, everybody went in to see Sammy. And it broke the color barrier. From there on, black people could stay in the hotel, appear in the audience, and black acts appeared in Vegas. I was very proud of breaking the color barrier with Sammy Davis. Well, he was yeah. an adventure. Anybody ought to see Sammy. Yeah, uh, that's from what I've seen just on film and everything. Unbelievable. You know, and he could do uh, tricks with 45s. He could, you know, twirl guns and stuff like that. Amazing. Yeah. Now and, I want to get into Judy Garland. He was you a brilliant produced... dancer, by the way. He was a what? brilliant dancer. Sammy was a brilliant dancer. Yeah, he was. He was. Somewhere there's a tape when Sammy was very, very sick. And uh, uh, we did a tribute to Sammy. And we had Greg Hines, who was one of the greatest tap dancers in the world. Mm -hmm. And he did his routine. And then I said to him, I said, when you get through with your routine, go over. Sammy's shoes are underneath his chair. Give him the shoes and he's going to get up. He said, I can't. He he told me he didn't want to dance. I said, Greg, give him the shoes. So uh, Greg did his number, went over. And when the audience saw those shoes, they exploded. And Sammy coming up, he was very sick at this point. He came up and Greg gave him these red shoes. And uh, the audience, when they saw it, they went crazy. And, Sammy, and on the way up the stairs, uh, um, Greg Hines said, do you want to do a little shine? Shine on your shoes, right? And Sammy, in a voice you could hardly hear because his throat was all chemotherapy. Sure. Said, Make it easy on yourself. And so Sammy got up and danced with Greg Hines. And that is one of the Biggest moments in show business because Greg Hines was stunned and they did a challenge dance until finally Greg did the thing and Sammy did this dance and he did. He was so impressed with Greg, he fell on his knees and kissed Greg's shoes. And oh, one of the great moments. But that was Sammy. Sammy, I I loved him. I had a lot of fun with Sammy. Now, what was your next question? I'm sorry. Okay. Now I want to get into you producing. The Judy Garland Show, the yes. famous Judy Garland Show. Love How her. did that come about? Again, see, see, you've gone, you've gone down through a list of my accidents, you know. Because Judy <laughs> Garland's another accident. The network bought Judy Garland because they needed an announcement. They never thought she would show up, but they needed an announcement. And so I wanted to do the Judy Garland Show, but I didn't know how to audition for Judy Garland. 
So I, 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 uh, I set up a meeting and I said, my name is George. So she said, I've heard about you. And I said, whatever you heard, there's no truth to the rumor that I'm difficult. Now, Judy Garland, <laughs> you said that to her. Judy Garland at that point, her reputation was she was impossible. And she says, you're difficult. I said, see, even you've heard about it. Anyhow, I, I now had a meeting with Judy and we became fast friends because I had her do things. I was not afraid of her. I was afraid of her, but nobody knew it. And uh, so she went on on stage and she would do an hour, an hour in an hour. There's no stopping and taping and retake. She hit that stage like a Marine. And so uh, um, we did five shows in six weeks and nobody thought she'd do one show. You know, nobody thought she, they knew she'd do a show like a concert, but nobody ever thought it would be sustained, but she came on and it, it happened. And it was a, as magic moment again, it was not what the network wanted, expected, or accepted. And so, after five shows that were uh, pretty damn good, I was uh, dismissed, and they brought in uh, uh, Norman Jewison, and uh, uh, he came and saw the shows. And he said, "That's what she should be doing." But what didn't they I, like? Why? Why did they fire you? Well, they, well, you had to see Judy Garland to understand. The inner, now, they, they wanted me to do with Judy what I'd done with Dinah Shore, which was a very pleasant, warm, wonderful, howdy, Miss Dinah. And it was a warm, relaxed, pleasant show. Judy exploded on stage, and they didn't want that kind of energy. They were afraid of it. And uh, I said, but she's not Dinah Shore. She's Judy Garland. And uh, uh, it introduced Judy. They had a, a convention in Vegas of all of the affiliates from... Uh, uh, the CBS affiliates. And uh, so uh, Judy said, I'm afraid to go out there. What am I going to do? What am I going to say? They don't think I'm going to show up. I said, so we wrote a thing for her, lyrics to call me irresponsible. And she went out on stage, sat on the lip of the stage and saying, call me irresponsible, call me unreliable, call me undependable un- too. have my foolish alibis bored you. I won't take a powder I can't afford to. Well, the audience went exploded. Just, I mean, just went crazy. And, uh, and she was a huge hit. So we did five shows in six weeks. And the network said they didn't want that. They wanted what I'd done with Dinah, which was warm and relaxed and wonderful. And I said, that's not Judy. So I was once more dismissed. I, I've been fired a lot, you know. But when those, <laughs> when those shows, they didn't air those shows in sequence. They aired them after about their 15th show. They were afraid to air them because they were so so intense and so explosive. But uh they were pretty good. And Judy and I wound up good friends forever. And then I wound up friends with Liza. But Judy was an event. But she was she was intimidating because she was tiny. But this dynamo was tiny. And when she got uh, nervous, it was it was awesome to see and particularly to produce. But I had a great time with Judy and we wound up friends. In one episode, Barbara Streisand guests. Was that during your tenure? Yeah, yeah, it was the first show after I left. It was good. It was Barbara Streisand. The two of them together were a real adventure, you know. Um, Judy was an adventure. I've been fortunate to have been accidentally or, or deliberately involved with some very colorful people like Judy Garland, right? Uh, you know, at one end of the scale was Judy Garland, and at the other end was uh, Richard Nixon. <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> and in the middle was Sammy Davis. Now, you want to take that as a career curve? <laughs> really exciting. I'm, I'm proud so what was she like to work with? Was she unreliable? Uh, was she kind of crazy? Or was she just yeah. very professional? What was she like? All, all of the above. 
she was a little bit crazy. She was, but I, and I, I told this before when I, at one time uh, we were taping a show and, uh, she started to get nutty, you know, cause she could go cause she just was so tightly wound and, uh, uh, she started getting nutty. And so I started singing over the rainbow and she exploded. She did not think that was funny. And she stormed off into her dressing room. And I followed her thinking, perhaps I'd gone a little too far. And, uh, <laughs> perhaps. And uh, so I went into her dressing room after her. And she said, you crazy. You know what you did? So I got on her coffee table. And I held a match under the sprinkler. She said, you apologize to me or I'm going to drown you. She said, drown And she called me a lot of bad words. And so I got down off the coffee table thinking maybe I'd gone too far. But the idea struck me as funny that I had done this with Judy Garland. So I <laughs> went off and so she followed me and I sat down on the floor. She sat down beside me and we started laughing. And she said, <laughs> so she said, I won't do it again. So we wound up very good friends because I could make her laugh. And uh, uh, that was the secret with Judy. You had to break that coil. But she was an event. But she went on and did the whole series. Once, once she was convinced she could do it, she did it. And, and she uh, needed the money, right? She needed the money desperately. And she had her husband, you know. Uh, her husband was a piece of work. Uh, he said, he, he said, I control Judy. Well, nobody controls Judy. He said, <laughs> you just tell me what you want. And I'll tell her what to do. And I'll make her do whatever you say. <laughs> so, I, so I, in another burst of stupidity, said, uh, I'm her producer. You're her husband. I will never come in your house. Don't come in my studio. Well, now there was a war too, you know, but the, eventually he didn't come in the studio until after I'd left. Um, but see, my, you, 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 you focused on elements and, and moments, uh, adventures in my long and suspicious career. Uh, it, it wasn't all like a, a lot of it was like. I know, that. but those are the fun things. That's the know, dish. But, it, but there were more, there were moments of great sanity in the middle of this. You know, I did with Dinah and with Lena Horn and with uh, Ella Fitzgerald. They were very sane, nice moments. But, uh, um, but you pick the, you pick some of the, uh, the adventures, which were questionable then. And now to me, to me now they're memorable. The things I look back on and say, boy, I'm glad I did that. I wish I'd done more of it. But at the time, nobody wished I'd done any of it. <laughs> okay, so now I'm going to segue to one of those low-maintenance, easy-to-work-with personalities. Uh-oh. Frank Sinatra. Piece of cake. <laughs> That's what everybody said. He, he said, he said, laughing. <laughs> Sinatra was an adventure. Uh, uh, he... Uh, uh, I met him by accident one day at MCA. I was there and I was in the mailroom and uh, he came in the building and everybody followed him. And I was in Larry Barnett's office and Sinatra came in and they gave him a contract. They had a contract where he never paid him commission because they made so much money selling bands by representing Sinatra that uh, they never, he never paid him commission. <laughs> And I'm in this room and everybody's in, you know, MCA was obligatory black suits and black ties. And I was there in a gray gabardine suit with a flowered tie and oxblood shoes because I was just, I was 19, you know. And uh, so Sinatra came in, he said, here, sign, sign, do I sign this? And I said, yeah. He signed the contract and he said, is it okay? I said, yeah, no. 
this room is full of these agents, all black suits and all super serious. And he's handing this 19 year old, whatever, his contract. And he looked at, he looked at me and he said, I have ties older than this guy and uh, signed a contract and left. So they thought I knew something. How, how would it be possible that I had this kind of a relationship with Sinatra? Well, I just met him, but we went on to have a wonderful relationship dotted with moments, episodes, uh, adventures that uh, almost undescribable. Some of them, he was, he was bigger than life. He was a little man, but he was such energy and such power and such. And by the way, he loved to laugh. That was the secret with Sinatra was if you could make him laugh. And, and I could make him laugh. It was dangerous, but it was necessary. <laughs> Tell the story about getting Sinatra to do a commercial for Japanese airlines. <laughs> well, they had sold a commercial. Sinatra uh, was, he was, he, he, he was totally unpredictable. You never knew who was going to show up and nobody could tell him what to do. You kind of suggested. So they'd sold this commercial and they said, we want to do this commercial with Sinatra for Japanese airlines. And I said, guys, I don't do commercials. I know what's going to be. No, I don't want to do it. I like him. We're good friends. I'm not going to do a commercial. He said, you have to do this commercial. He's getting a lot of money. So I finally said, all right, let me look at it. So they laid out a commercial that they had sold. It was like 45 minutes of, of I mean, it was like, like 45 pages of commercials and, and takes and all the stuff they wanted them to do, hard sell of this Japanese airline. Good luck. And they had promised him four days and, and uh, two days for the audio and four days for the commercial. And I looked at it. Now, again, I'm very young. And then I said, I looked at this thing and I said, guys, I think you're talking about 45 minutes. <laughs> I was sold four days. He's getting a huge amount of money. They sold it for four days. I said, you're not going to do it. 45 minutes. And I laid the whole commercial out. We hire a guy that looks like Frank. That will tape the commercial with the stand in. And when you get it where you're perfect, I'll have Frank come in and do that. Well, at this point, you know, this whole room full of Japanese executives suddenly learned to speak English, right? Said, what the hell? So anyhow, Frank and I explained it to him. And the idea was he'd do a bit of commercial and then walk over and do a, uh, some of the stills and then do another bit of the commercial and then walk over and more stills. So he can walk from one spot to another and uh, and he comes out of his dressing room all in his tuxedo, and he said, can I go home now? I said, no, no, no. <laughs> we, we promised 45 minutes. We haven't stopped. 45 minutes. In. So he comes out, and he starts doing it, and he's taping, and then stills, and then taping, and stills, and it's going really pretty good, you know? And finally, we get almost to the last take, and he says, that's it. I said, what do you mean, that's it, Frank? I've got to finish the commercial. He said, no. I said, I have to have this last take. He said, you're not going to get it. Now, you can't understand a head-on with Mr. Sinatra was a frightening experience. You know? Oh, I would imagine, yeah. He said, I have to have it. And he said, you're not going to get it. So I said, Frank, don't make me hurt you. Now, why I said that, I will never know. <laughs> I said, he said that to Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I said, don't, I need to, don't make me hurt you. And he, you, you would hurt me? I said, if I don't get the commercial. So he said, well, let's hurry up. We got to get this thing. I don't want to get hurt. So he does, he does the last take and, and he says, goodbye, everybody. It was exactly 45 minutes. And he got a big number for the commercial and it was very successful. And they wanted to do another one. And then I got a big number. So it turned out pretty well. But Frank Sinatra was looms large in my many memories of uh, 
of uh, exciting episodes, and he was in a lot of them. Did you go but, out drinking with the guy? Oh, you didn't go out with him without drinking. You know, I remember one time we were going to go out, and it was going to be a late night. So I got a bottle of vodka, and I poured it out and put water in it. And so we're drinking. And he said, let's have a drink. Let's have another drink. So he sees me drinking this, uh, what I thought would be vodka. He said, let me taste that. It's you, son of a bitch. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> and so he, goes, he wanted a night, a night of party. And uh, so eventually he replaced the water with vodka, and I had a three-week hangover. But he was... Uh, it wasn't that he, it wasn't that he had to drink. He just enjoyed the swallowing, you know. And uh, uh, we had many, many adventures. Many of our, of our adventures were were sober, by the way. Um, uh, I mean, it's it just dotted with dotted with these moments of of uh, great fun and great adventures. And when he hit that stage, explosion! I mean, the audience went crazy. We were going to do a thing in, in uh, Hawaii one night, and uh, uh, he's, he promised this whole concert and right before he goes on it started to rain, rain, rain all day, rain, heavy rain I said, Barbara, what are we going to do? She said, well, it'll work and when the, uh, now, ladies and gentlemen Frank said, the rain stopped he walked out on stage, did his concert the rain started again, I said well, he's he's got mystical powers, Mr. Sinatra <laughs> uh, I, uh and I've told before one of my of all the wonderful, warm, and funny experiences and episodes that I shared with Mr. Sinatra. One of them was uh, uh, when I was asked by Barbara to do a eulogy at his funeral, and uh, and it was frightening because I was going to be follow. I said, "Okay, I'll, as long as I don't have to follow Gregory Peck." So sure enough, here's the thing, right? And now I'm introduced by a bishop following Gregory Peck. And and I didn't know what to say because at this point, you know, you you got to understand what a chill is like when you get that kind of a challenge. And I don't know why, but when the bishop introduced me, I said, thank you, Your Honor. And the place cracked up and I explained that I'd been introduced by a lot more judges than bishops. And uh, so that broke it up and it became funny. And a lot of Frank centered upon making him laugh, making people around him laugh. He loved to laugh. He was... Uh, um, he was the most unique personality in the world. He remains, reigns today as one of the most talented, magical, unique, exciting personalities. Uh, and it's not a multiple choice. The choice those are all specific descriptions. Do you ever get a chance to go to one of his recording sessions? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, what were they like? As with everything, it was an adventure. The only thing you never said to Frank Sinatra is take two. Didn't if he, he made a mistake, he'd take it from the top. And uh, uh, went to uh, this one taping session of one of his albums that became a big hit. He came in, the orchestra was there, they all everybody's prepared and what I've been. Uh, and uh, he starts to sing and he said, hold it. He said, that's it. And walks out. And he said, I'll see you tomorrow. Now, here's the whole orchestra there to do this recording of this uh, album. And uh, he's decided not to do it that night. And uh, so everybody panicked. And I said, uh, I, I know him. He said he'll be back. Trust him. And so the next night he came in, did the whole concert in one take, and it was perfect. He was, he was, he was difficult to understand, but easy to love. 
and uh, and every moment I shared with Frank uh, is is part of my most pleasant memories. Not all of them pleasant. All of them are some of them just exciting. Many of them pleasant. And his whole family. I mean, I love Tina. And I love Nancy. And I, you know, Frank Jr. I had a lot of fun with. But Frank was an event. That's best described him. Now, there are books like one by uh, Kitty Kelly and a few others that are all these like tell-all books where he does something outrageous or horrible every other page. Have you read any of those books? And, and are those books kind of, you know, way I'm, overblowing his reputation? Read them. I'm even in some of them. Uh, everything you ever heard about Frank was was had some truth in it. It was usually an exaggeration because when he arrived, it was not a normal event in anyone's life. It was an adventure. And uh, uh, she she wouldn't have sold any books telling the stories about Frank that, that I know because it wasn't as exciting. It wasn't as uh, volatile. It wasn't as explosive. But uh, um, she sold a lot of books, which was her purpose. Sinatra, everything you've ever heard about Frank Sinatra had some truth in it. <laughs> but but the real truth is uh, is often overlooked because uh, you just can't conceive of anybody having that kind of magic, that kind of power, and still being a normal, fun, happy human being. Not always happy, but always fun. So your book is called Still Laughing, A Life in Comedy. It's out now. And uh, talk a little bit about the book, what's in it, and how come you wrote it at this point? You're well, 93. Wow. Congratulations. 93. I, I know. Nobody ever thought I'd get this far. Uh, <laughs> I kid around about saying this is my first book, and next year I'm going to read another one. But uh, they've been after me for a long time to write a book. And my past included people and, and adventures, some of which are Beth left not included in a book. But I said, but so much of my life has been fun and, and happy and, and accident that I decided to write a book that would j- just uh, tell the funny episodes. And that's all the book is, is funny, wonderful. Some Not all of them wonderful, but all of them amusing. Uh, not everything in my life was funny. The accidents turned into something funny. And the uh, uh, the mistakes even turned into something funny. So I wrote a book about uh, my adventures, all of which, uh, uh, to me, were amusing. And we they wanted a tell-all book. And I said, I don't think, I'll tell it all, but I'll tell it all my way. And uh, that's what the book is made up of, uh, funny memories of uh, exciting episodes, <laughs> exciting adventures. You ought you to you read it. It is um it's not what people expect. They expect a, a book about my adventures in Vegas and my adventures with different colorful people working in Vegas. Some of that's in it, but it's focused more on the fun that I had. And um, Am I mentioned in the book, uh, my meeting with you? Was that in the book? Did that make the cut? I don't think I don't think it was funny enough. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> but but this this if I was writing the book now, I'd put this in. However, I'm not too sure that I'm being too funny now either. Uh, <laughs> it was a strange thing. It's it, it's a vital part of my my life and of my uh, of the book because if you can laugh, you can heal anything. 
the, 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 the ultimate pain exists. And when you do, you can't do anything but people laugh when it hurts as bad as it can possibly hurt. The, the humor is the panacea. Humor is the lubricant. And, uh, uh, it's gotten me in and out of a lot of trouble. And, uh, the book is doing surprisingly well. I didn't think anybody was going to read just funny stories. People wanted an expose, but the reaction has been very rewarding because, uh, people want to laugh. And the book is just about my funny adventures and with funny people. Again, book is called Still Laughing, Life in Comedy. George, thank you so much. This has been great. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. And I hope you get another job. Okay. Yeah. And I'll have you back on when you write that second book. I'm going to write the second book. (laughs) All right. All right. If I get by with this first one, it's selling. A lot of people are buying it, which is a surprise to me, too. I thought it would be used as a doorstop, but people, I think people are buying it because we need to laugh. Right now, we are in such trouble in so many places, in so many ways, with so many people, that people need to laugh. And it's uh, it's the second best feeling in the world. Let's not go to the first, because I'll get in trouble again. <laughs> Thanks, George. Thank you. This was fun. Once again, let me mention his book. It is called Still Laughing, A Life in Comedy. That was George Slaughter. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce and Jason Miller. My email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I don't plug this enough, but I would like a five-star review if uh, you deem one worthy uh it kind of helps my ratings and of course that's all any of this is is about ratings and uh we will see you next week right here on hollywood and the Fun.